0: a friend is a buddy that you love we bring him on the show to teach us some stuff and when the show comes to an end if anyone asks you must contend jason and kelsey have friends jason and kelsey have friends all right welcome to jason and kelsey have friends i'm jason and i'm kelsey and we are two bay area asians learning from our friends
1: jason i got to say your high notes are real spot on lately it's uh it's quite <laughs> impressive
0: um thank you so much i've definitely practiced that way more than i should
1: <laughs> um, are you serious
0: yeah yeah i i i had to figure it out because the notes are like that ending high part is right in between my head voice and my like falsetto you know so i could oh, I choose to sing it with falsetto or i could choose to sing it with like my my real I voice see. um and so
1: and so when you were writing it you decided to give yourself I a decided exactly to... i
0: decided to put it like smack dab right there um and i have not adjusted it since so uh <laughs> hence the practice which is good what's what's
1: great for people who like listen to this very, very regularly is he sings this at the opening every time. This is not a recording. So every time <laughs> he is straining that top note. Oh yeah. And it, and everyone appreciates it. Like you could really feel the emotion.
0: I mean, you have to sacrifice for your art, right? Mm. That's true. Um, Cool. So how was your week? Like, did you learn anything?
1: I did. I did learn something. Um, I was watching, uh, Bob Ross painting videos uh to calm myself down from a very challenging week, oh um, wow, okay, and, and then I started uh Wikipediaing Bob Ross, uh-huh, and a, a shocking fact about <laughs> Bob Ross is he's like super chill, very you know calming personality. did you know he was a drill sergeant
0: uh, no, I had no idea I mean I, I know very he, little about Bob Ross, yeah, that's crazy
1: well. I'm about to drop some Bob Ross knowledge on you. The dude was a drill sergeant, and apparently he didn't like that so much uh-huh. that he knew that once he like quit the military, that he wanted to be more of like you know a common personality. And then he started wow. this, like, oil painting, and then was I think he was honorably discharged. But uh, yeah, it's just like wow. it's like finding out that you were like lead singer of Black Sabbath or something. You know, like just. There is no <laughs> connection between who you are now and who you were in the past.
0: Wait, that's really cool. That's kind of inspiring yeah. in a way. Yeah. like to- he, totally. he just like, completely reinvented himself. And... Oh,
1: 100%. Yeah, how about you? What would you learn this week?
0: I, I learned something um, about RVing this week.
1: Oh! Yes. RVing? Recreational
0: RVing. vehicleing or something yes, else? Yes, that's right. Recreational vehicleing. Um, have you ever this been RVing be yourself?
1: uh i did when i was like very very young when and i think my dad like i think it was very popular in like the 90s and we would go to like arizona and we would go oh wow okay grand canyon and do like those tours and stuff i feel like that's like a pretty typical thing in your california kid
0: yeah yeah that's awesome yeah um yeah so i recently went rving for the very first time and the thing that i learned is at the end because we rented the rv yep before you return it you have to you know make sure it's clean and in order and also you need to dump the waste oh okay right yeah so from from my food truck days like we're familiar with like waste tanks and like you know dumping that stuff but um Mm. what i wasn't familiar (laughs) with was uh we we went to the dump station there is a cap on the ground for for the hole um so we took out the tube and uh dora was holding the other end of the tube and she was preparing to put it into the ground and then my job was to um attach the the other end to the to the rv itself right and then once it's attached and everything's ready to go you just you pull the valve and then stuff stuff flows right everything goes yeah so she's figuring that end out i'm figuring the other end out so I, i reach down and i open i unscrew the cap on the pipe from the car and once i open it a fire hydrant worth of poop water just shoots out of the RV. <laughs>
1: wait, just wait, like, in
0: the tube? Not in the tube. None of it has gotten into the tube. All that's happened is I've unscrewed the pipe and the pressure of poop water was so high that it knocks the cap out of my hand. Oh! Shit. And it's now floating in the puddle that's that's rapidly rising. And there's no way for us to attach the tube that that I'm holding and that Doris holding because it'll create too much like splash, right? So yeah. we just have to let this thing run. But there's a little bit of an indentation in the <laughs> cement, and it's quickly like it's gonna boil over, right? The the, le- the water level's rising, and it's gonna fl- it's gonna start going all over the place. So oh the God. only option I have is just to reach my hand. and try to like open the cap that's on the ground and it's not intuitive so i'm jig i'm like working at it and then finally i figure out like how to keep it open and not only once it's open you can't just like let it go and let it be open i have to hold it there to keep it open (laughs) so i'm holding it while all this liquid is is flowing into the hole and Uh, While this is happening, the cap that blew out of my hand is also now in the hole, so we have to reach in and grab the cap out. Okay.
1: So many. I have like so many. I have like conservatively like 17 questions for you. Okay. So question number one, how much time elapsed during this whole saga? Because that tells you like how much mass is coming out of, you know what I mean? Like. I have so this took like if this was like 10 seconds and maybe it's like okay not as dramatic but if this was like a 7 minute story I'd be like
0: okay. honestly I have no idea how much time has elapsed it it felt like days <laughs> but it was it was yeah. here's to put it in perspective it's six adults worth of material over a 3 day trip oh boy and <laughs> I don't want to Okay, follow up so, question. Did yeah. you
1: burn off the hand that had to hold the cap open or the
0: no, no, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Just oh, washed it. Oh, you know, oh, we we had to hit the road like just washed it. Our our priority no soap. Our just priori- washed it with water. Yeah, just a little bit of rinse. <laughs> our priority was to get out of there as quickly as possible before like another camper or somebody oh, shows up God. and just like look at these noobs, right? Um so once all the liquid yes. goes away it, it flows away. And now we're now we have to mm-hmm. I just wanted to point out that we have to deal with the solids. Yeah. So I just wanted to point okay, that out. So, that that we had to like gather water and like yeah. spray it around to try to manipulate the solids into the hole. Okay. Nice. And um So, so also what did
1: you learn this week?
0: <laughs> um, what did you
1: what about what did you <laughs> learn about yourself this week? Is it like something I learned about myself? Was it something <laughs> that you learned about like So I
0: guess what I there are a few things that I learned? <laughs> The, the most obvious thing I learned is you need to make sure before you head out on an RV trip that the valve is closed so that when you open the cap, it doesn't just explode. Oh,
1: I, oh, got it. So There's like a compartment,
0: yeah. like
2: the, yeah, yeah, got Yeah, it. Okay. so
0: that you can attach the tube and then pull the valve and you're everything safe, right? So I, Ru- I learned oh, I that see. very practical thing. The other thing I learned more about myself is that <laughs> I, I learned a few things, a few tips, right? Don't wear a somewhat long coat if you're dealing with
2: <laughs> puddles Oh no!
0: Of is water. it the
1: long coat that you always wear? Oh, <laughs> it's
0: the oh. long coat. Yeah. So Did don't you wear, burn it? Don't wear long coats. No, I just washed it with water. Oh. It just I just rinsed it, just like my hands. <laughs> um I also learned that uh if you're planning a trip <laughs> in the in the meal planning process, I literally said, like, I want to make sure that at least one of our meals is centered around black beans. <laughs> <laughs> so, be careful with your meal planning, I guess. And then, oh my God. yeah, I think the thing I learned most about myself is that, yeah, I, when it comes to it, I'm not afraid to get just a little bit dirty. So, I am, oh, okay. oh, I'm a that's bit good. proud that's of, actually good. of how I handled it. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, uh, I kind of wish that I uh, I had gone last because I feel like the transition from your story of what you learned this week <laughs> to our next guest is a little bit less clear than my what I learned this week. But I'm going to attempt it anyway. Um, I am very, very happy to uh, introduce our next guest. Uh, Our guest hails from Cerritos, California. He attended West Point with a degree in economics where he was a member of the Academy's water polo team, investment forum, and Korean-American relations seminar. After graduating... He served in Afghanistan, where he led a team of soldiers in such actions as constructing infrastructures throughout the country, designing and managing the first web-based repair request system in Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. and managing hundreds of construction and deconstruction projects throughout the region, eventually achieving the rank of captain. He then attended the UCLA Anderson School of Management to receive his MBA, and now resides in Seattle as a senior product marketing manager for Microsoft lot of m's please welcome <laughs> to the podcast andrew lee yeah, yeah!
2: <laughs> hi andrew Thank you for that. Hey, andrew hey kelsey hey jason thanks thanks for that um nice reading of my linkedin profile there. <laughs> uh <laughs> you know i was i was listening i was listening to your guys banter and um Actually, found connection points to every single one of your guys' stories. <laughs> oh
0: wow! I'm okay. excited
2: for this. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. All yep.
1: right. I would love for you to follow up on that. Or is that is that it? That's all you want to say?
2: <laughs> no, no. I, I, so, um, in terms of the poop, like, yes, the poop. I mean, I it, that just kind of made me think about like when we were in Afghanistan. Like, we would we would poop into tin cans and then we would burn it afterwards. So,
1: yeah, like right uh, after, Wait. like each time, no. or would you like let it accumulate?
2: We, we let it accumulate, but, uh, oh, okay. um, wow.
0: Wait, how do yeah, you, how do it. you burn poop? You put gasoline on there and you put <laughs> <the> oh. it <fire. laughs>
1: Okay. Wait, kind of wait, a stupid wait. question following up from that. What's left?
2: Is it just like ashes? Ash? Uh, I, I don't know. You don't, you don't stick I around. I never <laughs> personally, I never, I never personally burned the poop. Um, but we did have to burn captains didn't have to thing. Is that like, yeah. a, is
1: that like it, a it, private first class kind of thing?
2: Or is that like a, uh, I don't want to say it is, but it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Very strong. And then uh, Bob Ross, like, I think, I don't know if you guys knew this, but um, Edgar Allan Poe actually went to West point for a little bit. And then he wow. got kicked out. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he did not want to be there but um the i think the fork the folklore says that um he tried really hard to get kicked out and then the final straw that broke the camel's back was uh he showed up to formation wearing nothing but a a belt um <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, i mean you're gonna have to fact check that one but that's I, like- that's, that's what i remember roughly that's like the most anti wow. Edgar Allan Poe
1: thing I think he would do. Like, you know, you kind of imagine this very like drab, really s- like kind of like, you know, depressed, sad looking guy, but he's like showing up in a you know, showing up naked, you're like, Oh, that's kind of funny. Like that's not exactly wild, I-, I figured yeah. he'd be like, I figured he'd just be like, Oh, this sucks. Uh, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry for sorry for sorry for all of our uh listeners who are Edgar Allan Poe heads. <laughs>
0: and yeah, all the uh, Poe freaks out me there. Me
1: slamming yeah. Edgar Allan Poe, but <laughs> Andrew, first off, super happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um one thing that's that is uh that I'd love to start with is Cerritos, California. <laughs> what was it like growing up in Cerritos, California? Go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, growing up in Cerritos is probably similar to i would imagine like most west coast asians um mm. in the sense that it was there were a lot of asians in cerritos uh, <laughs> <laughs> like i'm not gonna lie um but you know it, it was interesting enough it wasn't just one asian ethnicity like i remember my high school it felt like 60 70 asian but it was a mix between like korean chinese indian filipino Vietnamese. It was a little bit of everything. You know, just kinda of thinking back, like I remember feeling like I never recognized my Asianness because it just felt like I was just this is just what it looks like. And so yeah. I'm just part of this society where, you know, everyone kinda of just looks at me, looks like me. And I'm not a minority really. <laughs> but no, I, I mean it was great from the aspect of a lot of my friends were super studious and ambitious and that kept me studious and ambitious. And then You know, outside of just Cerritos, my, I think my parents, their trick, which I think I'm going to try using now that I have a kid is, uh, their, their trick to make sure I never got in trouble was to make sure I was so busy with other stuff Uh that I didn't have the opportunity to. So like smart, you know, I played the tenor sax and the baritone sax. I I did Taekwondo, Boy Scouts. Oh, cool. I was on the swim team and the water polo team. Like what else did I do? Yeah. There was, I mean, that took, that took them all my time. <laughs> there was more to that than that, like laundry list of activities that you did. <laughs> I mean that and like the obvious, like summer school and like oh SAT God. camp and like, you know, they just, they loaded me up, but um, it was fun. Yeah. By the way, just as a side
1: note, Jason. uh, Yeah. So I played water polo too in high school, and I thought I was pretty good. And then I, (laughs) what did I do? I I was gonna, I was gonna
0: bring this up. Yeah.
1: I know. I was, so I was talking to Andrew one day, and actually, uh, in business school, there's like this uh, charity event. Um, I was all really cocky because I was like, (laughs) I swim in high school. (laughs) Look at these. I could, I could do this because there's like a, there's like an event where you, you know, you go and you race uh, swimming. I get there and I and like I jump in the pool and I'm like doing two laps and Andrew's already on lap like five <laughs> and I swear to God like 15 20 minutes later I just got out of the pool and I just like I was like nope like I clearly like and Andrew was all like yeah I haven't really done it either like I haven't really trained that much and I was like well, what's, I was like and I was kind of like sizing him up I was like well, what was your background he's like well you know I played water polo for like my college and I was like oh where'd you go to college? He's like West Point, And I was like, oh, shit, oh, this, is, this is not going to go well. And then he just smoked me. And I like, I, like I've like, i always thought I was pretty good. And like Andrew just like legitimately just smacked me down and was like, no, no, no. This is this is how adults do it. You go back to your like, I am whatever. And I was just like, OK, um, I love that. So I know that you played water polo for your high school team. Did you? go to West Point on like a scholarship for water polo or did you want to do it? Just, you know, you, you got to West Point and you're like, I might as well do something. So.
2: Yeah. No, um, like I love playing water polo. It was, it was great. Um, and so when I went to West Point, they actually have like tryouts for that. Mm. At West Point, you have like kind of two options, uh, especially as a freshman. So the options are either one, you don't do like a sport, like a club sport. And that means that at night, like you don't have a practice to go to you now have to spend your evenings like getting hazed and delivering laundry to upperclassmen and that's like as, i i did that a couple of times and i'm like this is shitty like you're <laughs> the experience is basically like you have um 10 to 15 freshmen all in a room like a dorm room size we have all the upperclassmen's laundry like patched up in different places and then upperclassmen are just waiting outside the door for you to come out and then they start yelling at you <laughs> and you're trying to deliver this laundry to people <laughs> but then they they stop you and they ask you like you have to know certain knowledges uh, um, as a plea like hey like you have to know the next three meals and they'll ask you what's for breakfast tomorrow and if you don't know then everyone gets in trouble they send you back in the room and they, you know so that's that's just not a fun experience <laughs> Um, so I was like, I need to go find something of you, and and I really like water polo, and oh so I was like, All right, I'm gonna try for this water polo team. I'm gonna make sure I get in, and I did. It was it was great. The team was was super awesome. But um,
0: so yeah, but wow, was it
2: was it, that's impressive, dude. That that's was like,
0: just like my college experience. Holy smoke! Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I guess just to, actually to take to take a quick step back, though, Andrew is um like what drove you to want to go. The west point route versus mm-hmm. i guess a more quote-unquote traditional path to like you know go to
2: Ivory, yeah like i have to give a lot of credit to my dad on this one so i mean just for context like both my parents they they moved to america when they were still in high school so they actually grew oh. up um in america oh. and um you know my dad speaks actually really good english um wow. but i you know i actually need to ask him this but i don't know if he was conscious in like trying to number one expose me to the rest of america um oh, yeah. and i say that because he would do things like you know obviously it sounds like you guys went on a ton of road trips but we we'd go on a ton of road trips and then he was also like looking back i'm like why did he do this but he would send me out to like chicago by myself or new york by myself and just stay with his like cousins or his uncle And they were just kind of like, yeah, like, we'll take you around, but you can just go explore. So like, I was like 16 and in New York city, just kind of exploring by myself. But
1: like in high school, you were like, he was showing me all these like cities.
2: Yeah. Um, Hmm. And so, uh, but he was the one that was like, I think it was my sophomore year. Cause I remember I was like an AP Euro and I was like, what is this West Point that he keeps telling me to go to? Cause you know, for the most part, I was set similar to you guys. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to just go to UCLA, like, and I'll figure it out from there. Like, that's a mm-hmm. great school. Like, why can't I just do that? But yeah, once he, he kind of like inceptioned me, he planted the, the West Point bug. And then I was like, oh, that's super interesting. Um, And then I think the real reason is like, because I did all these activities, I was actually really fortunate to be in, in leadership positions across them. So like I was, I was, I became an Eagle Scout and I was the head of my Boy Scouts troop uh 1005 which was great like i was the captain of my water pole and swim team started my junior year and and all that good stuff and like i i genuinely enjoyed that that kind of role and that leadership and then the more i thought about it, i was like yeah like west point's known as the premier leadership academy it's a great school you know i don't have any student debt coming after this and that's kind of the big reason why like i didn't even go to west point thinking like oh i want to join the army I, mm. I knew joining the Army was an after fact, but I actually went to West Point because number one, prestige. Number two, like it's a leadership academy and I can I can like get experience like no other. And so, um, yeah, I think I, those are kind of the big reasons why. Wow. What uh, like what what did you mean by your dad incepted you? Like, so it's not something oh, happened like. No, like he planted. He's like, oh, you should look into West Point. Like he he kind of mentioned that earlier on and then he kept bringing it up. Um, and so he wasn't like super pushy about it. He wasn't like, you have to go to West Point. Right. He kind of just mentioned it and, and left breadcrumbs, if you will. And like, oh. um, and, and kind of let me go and, and discover reasons why I kind of want to go for myself. And then, you know, once, once I was super convicted, I was all in and, you know, the process to get to West Point is, is really tough actually. Oh yeah. You have to get a congressman's like, yeah, yeah. uh, letter of recommendation. You have to do a physical fitness test. So yeah, yeah,
0: that's wild. Wait, so that's pretty so your dad was like West Point. It sounds like it was the only school that he would even talk to you about,
2: or no? I mean, he was open to everything, but he was oh, just okay. like, "Is this something like you you'd want to go do?" Like, "Oh, you should yeah. here, I I found this pamphlet. Like, you should just look into it." Um, so he wasn't pushy at all, and he was very open to everything. But yeah, um, uh, it... after a certain point, like I made that decision for myself.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you ever talked to him like what his motivation was? Because like. Did, was he, did he serve at all or, you know?
2: No, I, you know what? Like of the, all the things I've I've at, talked to him about, I never actually asked him that. Uh, we, go. we have some homework yeah, for you, Andrew. I, yeah, no, that <laughs> makes sense. I always thought that I came up for it uh, on my own, but uh, now that I'm talking with you guys, I'm like, oh yeah. I
1: well, bring up. I but it. let's be fair though. I think every parent incepts their kids in some way, shape or form, right?
2: Oh now. yeah.
0: Do you, do you think your dad or your parents like really stressed like, leadership as a skill or as a a position to pursue like growing up and that's why you ended up like
2: no my my parents like they didn't push me to do anything particular Mm -hmm. they were super supportive and i don't know if at a certain point they just kind of ended up trusting me but now that I look back, I feel like that's the case. Like they never said, like, "Oh, you have to go become the the troop patrol leader of this of your Boy Scout troop." Mm-hmm. Like they never said you have to do that. Like that's something I wanted for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whenever I needed help, they would help me, but it was never a, a mandate or whatnot. And and I really appreciate them for that.
1: Have, had you always been that self motivated? Because that's a very impressive thing to do on your own at such an early age. Like...
2: I, it's funny because. Um, I ha I think I have to thank my mom for a lot of this. I remember in elementary school growing up, I my both my parents were working and and me and my brother would just play all the time. Like we lived right next to a park and we would just go and play all the time. And then like it was it was so much that like one of our um uh, our neighbors talked to my parents and were like, Are your kids okay? Like <laughs> they're always playing at the (laughs) park. Wow. Like,
1: like (laughs) that's a problem. Your kids are having fun like too much. So I I don't know.
2: Yeah. But at a certain point, like my mom decided to just stay at home and, and that was kind of the point where, you know, she wasn't so like, Oh, you have to get A's, but she started introducing me and like, she kind of sacrificed her career to say like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, do what's best for my children. And that's, you know, what moms when parents do, like I'm gonna go drive them to five different places and make sure that they get these experiences. And, you know, it was I feel like it was that introduction to those experiences that that kind of let me have the leadership opportunities, right? Um yeah.
1: Wow. That's very that's very very cool. Andrew, that's very sweet of you actually. It's I mean it's nice to rec I mean it's always nice to recognize the things that your parents do. And I, I have noticed that I do that more like now. 100 percent like especially having a kid and you know i, I know andrew you you have a, a little one as well but it's just like man we took quinn to like swim practice when he was like five months old wow and i was just like I'm just go. <laughs> wow i'm gonna drive over there and like i mean it doesn't do it anymore but like but you like you want to give your kids like all the experiences hopefully that you got yeah. hopefully there's something successful but
0: yeah that's i mean it, good i, I appreciate did you that start did parent. you start quinn so young with swimming because you're inadequate at it in graduate school
1: listen um i found that my life trajectory effectively changed that day at the pool you're like get i was like a fully grown now. person and i was like i will not lose to him again if not me my progeny, progeny. will yeah. whoop that ass. <laughs> Quinn, start going. Get it, Andrew. Yeah. In twenty years, get yourself in shape. <laughs> it's, you, it's, it's the Lees versus the Chung's, and I am putting a lot of eggs in this basket. So, um, but anyway, um, but I, I think it's like a very interesting kind of like uh, get a snapshot of like your childhood. And obviously coming from like being like a Southern California Asian kid from a very, let's call it predominantly Asian community to West Point, which is, I would argue, not as predominantly Asian as you would expect. So how was that transition when you first moved out there? And were you like mentally prepared for that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely an interesting experience for me because like, you know back to like being in high school it was always me not seeing myself as a minority um mm-hmm. right. i'm like oh yeah i'm just one of the guys like it's not a big deal um to being there and being hyper aware of my ethnicity like i don't look like any of these other people yeah yeah and so it was it was really actually like my first exposure to what i'll say like real america and you know i think west point does a great job in mimicking the diversity of the United States population. Um oh, okay. in in the number of people, ethnicity, they're doing much better jobs in like the male to female ratio and all that good stuff. Um and so I felt like I got a great eye opening experience to what America looks like. And for example, like my boot camp roommates were uh Dave Freeman and Eric McDermott from Arkansas and New Mexico. And you know, we were just it was us three in a room trying to get some sleep over each other's snoring and and survive another day of of boot camp so yeah i i yeah so it was it was it was very eye-opening it made me feel hyper aware that i am asian and not everybody is asian Mm -hmm. and
1: yeah do you do you mind going into like what your first year at west point is like because it does sound like it's very different from say like jason's (laughs) first year at upenn or my first year at ucla like I was at UCLA, and no one like burst into my room to ask me the breakfast menu for the next day. So, <laughs> I, I and I don't know if that's typical for most of the programs at West Point for first years, but
2: yeah, I mean, I, the first year is essentially you go to West Point in the summer and you spend three or four months in what's boot camp, where they call it Beast, um, and so it's basically a boot camp that's ran by upperclassmen. Uh-huh. And so um you know my squad leader was a junior at West Point or or a, we call them cows. I was a new cadet. And so that whole summer and the whole experience is in essence about number one breaking you down and then building you back up. And mm-hmm. so it goes everything from you don't have your own clothes, you shave your head, no one cares who you are anymore essentially. Mm-hmm. And let's build you up to become what is expected of you, and that is you know disciplined, that is physically fit, that is you know sufficient and capable at these basic military skills, whether it's marksmanship or um, you know ruck marching um twenty miles with a thirty five you know pound rucksack and so that that's essentially what what my understanding of the experience is and looking back and it it was tough. I mean, a lot of people quit. Um, really? Hmm. Like even after getting accepted at West Point, there are still people who oh, yeah. to... Really? Yeah, people quit, people quit during Beast. My perspective is like, unless you go to West Point because you want to go to West Point, if you go to West Point because someone told you you have to, oh, I see. you're, you're not going to want to stay there. Oh. Like you're not going to want to wake up every morning at 6 a.m. and have two minutes to get ready before you have to go out to formation and like for example, like meals. It's not like you're just eating it leisurely. Mm-hmm. It's a super stressful environment where you have your squad leader at the head of the table and all his squad new cadets there, and you're just stuck there until he asks you a bunch of questions and every one of the table has to answer correctly. Okay, well now eat, and then you have like five minutes to eat or whatnot, and you can only put food in your mouth that is portion small enough that you can swallow in two or three bites. So it'd be oh. like, and it's, so it's not like you're shoving food in your mouth. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, so that's just kind of a glimpse of how tough the experience is and why it's not for everybody and why people quit because they oh. quickly realize like, this isn't for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: and you knew that going into it, like, y- Oh yeah, you had an idea. Okay. I, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, so what, I mean, like, obviously, so as folks are like dropping out of the you
1: know program whilst you're going through Beast, like what motivated you
2: to keep going? I honestly don't know. I just don't quit things like in general. I see. The things that I, I personally um really want to do and I'm convicted about, like I just don't quit them. Um, And so it's just, I signed up for this thing and I have to finish it. Like there, <laughs> that was, it. that was as simple as it is. Like it wasn't like, oh, I want to go learn leadership experience. Like I signed up for this thing and I have to see it through. If
0: if you're like reading a book and then like a few chapters in, you realize the book isn't that good. Will you just stop reading the book or will you finish it?
2: I will skim the rest of it. Okay. <laughs> like I, 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 um, yeah, if I have a to-do list, I have to check the box. Like
1: I see Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no matter how, I mean, no matter, no matter like how thoroughly the box yeah,
2: is checked. Yeah, yeah. Like you'll find yeah. a way through it. I see. Or if I want to get myself going, like I'll vacuum, but then I didn't have it written down. So I'll write vacuum and then I'll check it off.
0: Oh, nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Quick wins. Quick wins. Yep. Rack them Quick up. wins.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: So okay, so like uh now we're go now we're gonna follow Andrew into, you know, the, the sophomore and then the upperclassman years. Like what was that like yeah. for you, especially as you got used to being so exposed to the diversity you, you experienced at West Point?
2: You know, the, the thing that's super interesting is before West Point, I never specifically looked out to find those that look like me. Mm-hmm. Like for example, a lot of my friends in high school were um Indian or Chinese like I actually didn't really have super close Korean friends and I'm Korean oh, okay. right yeah. um right cuz it just didn't really matter like I I didn't see being Korean as a strong part of my identity and because I became super high, like hyper aware that I'm Korean American I'm Asian American in, in this place and not a lot of people look like me I actually wanted to look for people that look like me and so mm-hmm. um mm-hmm that's the reason why I joined things like the Korean American relations seminar, like cars. It was full of people that look like me. Um, and that can relate to my experiences and, you know, for better or worse, like the upperclassmen, like they looked after me. Um, they looked after us. I think the thing that brings diversity together is being a part of the team and having a common Mm -hmm. mission. Um, and so, yes like i got to do that at beast and with like my my platoon and my squad and all that good stuff but it wasn't like personal um whereas in the water polo team like we were really a team um and we're super tight knit we had nicknames for everybody like it was it was such a great time and and one of my favorite experiences but that was that was a situation where it was kind of like oh this is a super diverse team right um Mm -hmm. But none of us actually saw it that way, and and we just kind of saw each other for what we were worth, and like our personality and who you were, um, and so that was kind of great as well.
1: Yeah, I I think it's funny because um, that's kind of how my experience was, at least in high school water polo. Like, it sounds like you had a fairly positive experience, like being exposed to all the different diversities and.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. If I had one takeaway for anybody, it's get out of your bubble and go go expose yourself to these other places because it's a net positive, um, 100%. So I am super fortunate of like the experience I did at West Point. Um, looking back, one of the best decisions I made like in terms of exposures to the rest of America, I think, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this, but my time at the Army was a different exposure to the rest of America. And then even at Anderson is a completely different exposure. Oh. right. And so, um,
1: yeah. I um So, yeah, I don't know if you have any questions, Jason, but uh, I would love to talk about like, how it was after west point but
2: but hey before we go to the army just want to like i'll just one last fact that i thought was super interesting as i was reflecting on this is yeah um being asian american like i was a great swimmer i was a great water polo player but physically like i was not super strong like i couldn't bench 135 i couldn't do more than five pull-ups when it got to west point and i think i don't know if it was this like this was me but the importance of of being physically fit was so it was so much more top of mind for me mm-hmm. when i went to west point you know i never had to deal with a stereotype of like oh he's asian like he's just good at math and study right mm-hmm. but he when it comes to war like can can i trust this guy to pull me out right i never had to deal with that stereotype you know growing up in cerritos and so i don't know if i became like hyper aware of that stereotype at west point but I, I started working out a ton and I actually loved it. And, and if I look at all my, you know, the upper classes that were ahead of me at West Point and, and me and my peers, like we all worked out a lot. Um, and, wow. and we worked out a lot to, to all I, for me, myself, I won't speak for them, but for me, myself, it was like, I needed to prove to to everyone else at West Point that I didn't just get good grades, but, I can also beat them physically in that, that physical fitness test or whatnot. Like I needed to prove that I wasn't the worst. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. so I was very conscious and like, I worked out a ton, but I, I don't know if that was just a, that was the other thing. And I'm super grateful for it. Cause it's, look at you. It's you're great. Para- but, uh, Cause you're a pair.
1: Look at your, I mean, let's, let's just say it. You're a smoke show right now, Andrew. Now, dad bod. I'm a dad bod right oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. You, I mean, you're, you're peeking, my friend. Um, <laughs> did you not feel that way in high school? Like in, because you clearly did water polo. Like that's a, obviously a very physically demanding sport. I mean, some would argue that Asians that did water polo are better than Asians that didn't do water polo. I mean, Jason, I don't know what you think, but like, I think that when you do water polo in high school, as an Asian American, you are you are probably like the, the cream of the crop. Like let's be honest.
0: I think I think participation in speech kind of like resets it. And like <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Oh, it, it like balances it out. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Um
1: yeah. but yeah, Andrew, cause I kind of it's it, this is a revelation, actually. When I was a freshman and when I started swimming and playing water polo, there were these two Asian twins that were like seniors, and they were like Jack. Jacked. And they were like, <laughs> they were on like the track team, they swam, they were just like physical. Adonis's, like they were like i i thought i was like damn like there's someone i can like look up to and i didn't know them well but Mm -hmm. i was just like wow like there's other asians out there that are physically impressive and like totally buck the trend and i was kind of like as i think about it i think i was like wow that's like something to aspire to Mm -hmm. um but it's it is I don't know that it's kind of shaking me right now, Andrew. Because I think <laughs> I I never consciously thought of that until you like brought up upperclassmen, like almost showing you like yeah, you don't have to be mm-hmm. this thing that people pigeonhole you into of being like oh you're good at math, you're good at like blah blah blah. Like you can be you know a, a big old big old buff Asian guy. <laughs> yeah. That's Jason did you have did you have a, like
0: i, I honestly did, that's never been like a top of mind concern for me i mean um, i
1: mean you're 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 a specimen already, so like it's it's kind of like mean, you know some people are it's just like asking it's just naturally
0: yeah. a gift it's a gift yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah um I try not to be too bothered by like agent stereotypes in general uh, and, and I try not to like be embodied by them so i I always felt like hmm. i was kind of beyond that i guess
2: um were you ever jason were you ever in in long situations where you were the only asian guy
0: yeah 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 uh wh- what do you mean by long though
2: i don't know i like i felt at west point and even in the army it's always like these people are gonna see me and this is the first time they're gonna see an asian american mm-hmm. and their entire you know Formation and understanding of who we are is going to be based off their interaction with me yeah and yeah. you know a part of that was like shit like i i can't be the i can't i can't confirm their stereotype that i'm weak and i'm only good at math right or, or whatever that right like i need a buck that yeah. i need to show them i'm just as good as them i just yeah. i don't know i i was always very conscious of that and and felt like i had to to represent if you will um
0: no i no i definitely I've had that feeling before. And I think for me, in my mind, I always took it as a point of pride in like, why am I the only Asian here? It must be for some sort of reason. And yeah, I always wanted to make sure that I was standing out, that I was like, well liked in the group and and whatnot. But in general, I always felt like kind of, yeah, proud, like, look at me, I have the the knowledge I have, the charisma I have, the the sense of humor I have, you know, the cultural understanding to like be in this room and to hold my own. Mm-hmm. um It never internalized as like something I had to disprove or
2: yeah, like
0: that's work, awesome. Work harder to overcome. Like I, it, it must have already been there because that's why I'm here, right?
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean, it just I guess you were a lot more comfortable in your own skin than I was. <laughs> <laughs> which is great yeah. i mean yeah. i think i'm getting to the point where you are now but like yeah um that's awesome
1: yeah. i i will say that though like just knowing i guess i guess knowing both of you but I, I mean just jason specifically i think jason has always been i mean i've talked to him about this all the time like he's always had a pretty solid sense of self at a fairly yeah. early age so mm-hmm. that's fair. and i would probably call that more exceptional because like effectively i'm seeing like the two like positions that you could take and i feel like i would probably i'd be more of like a I need to physically, I need to be good at everything immediately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, well, I think that's a super interesting transition too, because it sounds like you, you got a pretty good sense and, it's, and it seems like you had a very positive experience with West Point. But then once you started your military career, um, how, how did that transition happen when you graduated West Point and then went to, uh, did you go directly to Afghanistan or
2: was there like, yeah. A... Um, yeah. So even before we graduate, um, there's actually two things that determine our army career, if you will. Um, number one is your branch and number two is your post. And so the way it worked at West Point is your senior year, you know, everyone has a class ranking based off your academics, physical and military scores. Um, and so, there's all these different branches in the military. There's um, the infantry, which you probably mostly see in TV. There's, you know, everything from aviation where you're flying helicopters to a logistics officer, uh, armor, field artillery. You can do a lot of things. And so they have branch night where you go through and everyone puts in their preference. And it basically goes, you know, there's 200 slots for people to go infantry this year based off the army's needs. And so if, the rank one through 200 all want to go infantry and they all go infantry then you number 201 you can't go infantry you have to go pick something else hmm. um, and so that's how that process goes and so through that i branched engineers and then the second part is your post and so now you have all the engineers together and there's maybe i don't know 200 300. Um, and so there's different posts throughout the country even beyond the country I and see. so now they now each of those posts have specific amount of slots, and so they have um, you know posts in like Germany, Italy, um, Hawaii. Those are some of the ones that usually go out fastest, uh-huh. um, yeah. and you can guess why. And then bratwurst, so, bratwurst, right? Everyone, like the, I o- mean Oktoberfest. If
1: yeah. there's one thing that West West Point folks love, and that's a schnitzel.
0: Guys. It's a good sausage. That's a schnitzel
2: <laughs> and beer, yeah, and beer. Uh, <laughs> lots of beer. <laughs> uh so um me and and my friends all decided to to post fort lewis washington so we all live together here uh so that that was what i knew going out of the out of uh, west point is i knew i was branching engineers and i knew i was gonna go to fort lewis washington
1: okay so you're out in washington uh, at fort fort lewis
2: yeah so after you graduate you go and you do a bunch of training so i spent four months in in the middle of nowhere oklahoma I spent like five months in Missouri. Dude, Missouri winters are, are just horrible, by the way. Um they're so cold.
1: What is it yeah. like? Is it like is like 50 degrees? Get out of California.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. I didn't even know. Wow, like 40? Wow.
2: It's crazy. So um <laughs> but yeah, we we it was interesting living in those places. And then for a little bit, um and I was actually in an interesting spot because the unit I reported to was slated to deploy to Afghanistan in two months. And when I got there, I had the rare opportunity to be given a platoon right away. Um, usually for, so for example, a company usually has three to four platoons. And so, um, kind of the first iconic position for any, any officer joining the military is becoming a platoon leader. And so you're basically in charge of the 40 to 50 people in that platoon. Mm. Usually uh, rotation as a platoon leader lasts anywhere from a year and a half to two years. And so when you first get to a unit, you're usually the last in line to get a platoon. Mm. Um, everyone is who's been waiting gets it ahead of you. I was in this super interesting, lucky opportunity to be arriving right when one of the platoon leaders was leaving. Here I was. 21 22 years old i didn't go through any of the training with this platoon um, to validate that we are ready to deploy like i didn't know anybody all i knew about doing horizontal construction or like or using any of the equipment is what i learned on in a class and i was placed in charge to be this platoon leader for this platoon and so that was the situation i was in with roughly like three weeks two months before we deployed so wow. that was wild now that so, i look back on it
1: so how does one prepare
2: for that yeah like what do you endeavor? do <laughs> i i don't i i honestly just had as much fun as i could before i deployed <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, were, you like, were you like that's future andrew in yeah. Afghanistan? problem <laughs> like or like was there i don't know that's that's daunting my friend like
2: dude I, I, yeah, I know. I I don't know how I got through it. I I think most of it was, you know, it's funny. There's this whole um, joke that platoon leaders don't know anything. Like second lieutenants Mm -hmm. in the army don't know anything. And it's so true. Like we don't know shit, but the reason why the military works and they can afford to put a 22 year old in that position is because you are supported. And if you are smart enough to listen to your squad leaders and your, Mm -hmm. your non-commissioned officers, you're going to be okay right you have a platoon sergeant who's your your right-hand man or woman and that person has served for you know a number of years and have seen it has already deployed they know what they're doing and so it's this really cool um, dynamic where the military always pairs an officer with a non-commissioned officer so you're set up for success for the most part as long as both of you are receptive to each other and 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 trust each other so were you cl- were
1: you close with your nCO
2: then or yeah um we became super close so my my nCO was Sergeant first class Tawanda campbell I think I won her over and and the reason I say that is because um I asked her after our deployment like hey why did you trust me and and why did we get along so well and she was like sir I remember when we got to the first mission and it was the middle of nowhere and you came up to me and you said, Sergeant Campbell, what should I be doing? And from that point on, I knew that I could train this person and this person will like not screw us over. And yeah. so, you know, she was like, this guy doesn't have an attitude he doesn't have an ego. Like yeah, yeah. he's like genuinely here to um, do his best and like care about it. And so, that was really the formation of of our relationship,
1: yeah, like so I guess just in in following with the themes, like again, generally yeah. you you know your experience at West Point from a diversity perspective sounds like it probably changed a bit when you were deployed, Is that right. your first statement?
2: yeah, so I mean, if you just kind of contrast it, like at West Point, I was a peer, if you will, with a lot of people that were from diverse experiences, and I gotta experience that. And then in the army i was actually in a leadership position but the thing that's super interesting about the army is i don't think people understand how diverse the military is Mm. it is super diverse and just to give you a a quick snapshot or understanding my platoon is a korean american platoon leader an african-american woman as my platoon sergeant and across my squad my platoon we had you know everything from black white Uh, Mexican, Pacific Islander, Asian, you know, we had LGBTQ soldiers. So like thinking back, like my platoon was diverse. It was like a little bit of everybody. And I think the reason why the military works that way, this is just my perspective is at, after a certain point when you guys all have the common mission and a common goal and you believe in it and you go through hardships together, I no longer saw my soldiers as, you know, black, white. I just saw them as like Special Townsend or, or Sergeant Merchain or whatnot, right? And so it was actually super cool. Yeah. Do you think that's
1: a similar experience based on the other second lieutenants that you worked with? Like,
2: yeah, I would say so. I think if, if the platoon leader doesn't have an ego, if he actually cares about his soldiers and mm. yeah. Gotcha.
1: Interesting. It, did that evolve over time? Or was that something that like- It definitely was-
2: evolved over time
1: okay
2: um for me the priority and i think for most priorities for most of like platoon leaders or leadership positions is i didn't go straight into like the diversity thing like i went to the whole idea of i need to prove myself to these people and i need to earn their trust mm-hmm. Um, and for me how i did that was i showed them that i was not above them and clear examples of this is you know we would have to fill a shit ton of sandbags to to refortify ourselves and protect ourselves and usually platoon leaders don't you know do that they're usually you know planning for missions or whatnot but I made it super apparent and and you know it was a thing for me to be like I need to know what these people what these soldiers go through I need to uh, go out there and see what it's like to to shovel sand into bags for hours in like this, this hundred degree heat wearing full body armor. And, and so I think doing that was the thing that earned their trust. And then once I earned their trust and, you know, we did mission after mission and then I proved myself and and they trusted me and, and we became more of a family, I'll say. I think that's when kind of the cultures started to open up to each other. I felt, I felt like everyone started to feel like they can be themselves and not afraid of anything, how long
1: were you out in Afghanistan or I guess is that was that one tour or multiple tours or um, yeah it, that or...
2: first that yeah that first tour was a year long, and you were with that
1: same platoon for
2: that one year, yeah yeah I mean yeah the whole year we did a lot just for context the timing we deployed was two thousand ten that was roughly around the same time where we were leaving Iraq and we were prep preparing for a surge in Afghanistan. So they were going to do a surge mm-hmm. of troops into Afghanistan. And so to prepare for that, um, you know, what our missions consisted of was building roads and, and bases uh, to support that oncoming surge of, of units. And so we would do things like go into areas that were previously enemy strongholds and build like the first roads going into there and whatnot. So, Yeah. <laughs> Once again, I could do a whole podcast about yeah. it, but I don't want to digress. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, well yeah. I'm
1: literally in my mind, I'm tabling topics. So, one is your actual deployment details, and second is infrastructure pros and cons.
0: <laughs> like, how do you build a road? Like, that's. Yeah. How do you. How <laughs> does. Yeah. Like, you, you
1: say this stuff also nonchalantly. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. You know how, like, you build a base? You know how, like, one builds a base only, in Sims? Yeah, well, I, I did that, but in real life.
0: I only know how to build roads in, like, Catan. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like. So I learned this all from my squad leaders. Uh, but basically, I'll give you an example. Um, we actually have to build a road through like a marijuana field. So step one, clear the area. Like literally go there and and clear it. Like remove all the weed plants. And then step two is you have to mix like the, the soil with hard things. And so <laughs> – example of heart <laughs> like like
0: <I>
1: <laughs> sorry uh if you're just joining us this is andrew lee's how to build roads sorry i'm sorry this is sorry, I'm sorry. this is oh, very rude of me very rude of me i will call it up continue <laughs> you need to <laughs>
0: mix soil with hard things got it
1: okay okay sorry <laughs> step okay okay so, to quickly summarize, step 1 clear everything Yes. Step two, mix soil with hard
2: things. Yes. So the context is like we couldn't wait for, you know, asphalt trucks or concrete yeah, yeah. trucks uh, to okay. come, right? Got like it. we okay. had to build the road there of with what we had. And so the way we did it is we found these things called wadis, which which are basically dried up rivers. Okay. And these dried up rivers had a shit ton of rock, mm-hmm. like really great rock um that mm. were kind of the perfect size of what we needed and so we would send what are called scrapers and they basically go into this wadi and they open up their bottom they scrape up all the rock and then they close it, and they drive off um so we would mix the ground soil with we'd wet it we put rock on top and then we uh basically tamp it down Oh,
1: like compact it, like like make compact it, it? Yeah. yeah yeah
2: yeah and oh yeah i forgot before we do any of that you have to grade the roads so that it has some drainage Um, and then we go and tamp it down and all that good stuff. So that's essentially my, my recollection of how we built roads. Um, how many people would
1: like, like your platoon would go out and you'd be like, Hey, I need to build like this road. And you'd be like, all right, let's get the, let's go to the riverbed, get the waddies. Like, like, you guys go do
2: that? Yeah. We'd have to plan a whole mission. Like that, that's, that's like a mission. And then we'd have to coordinate with like the local um battle space owner and and ensure that they can provide security for us um and like you know at the same time people are trying to shoot us so uh, oh my god like i think one of the times we were building the space we had to build it super fast because it was in a really bad place and we worked like 48 hours straight through um through shifts and we just worked straight through it and we built the base uh, but right after we built it, like, we got RPGs attack or mortar attacks. And, you know, I'm not a super religious person. Like, I don't go to church or whatnot. But I would say the the moment where I, I kind of thought, like, there's something up there that was looking after me was um, there was a mortar that landed within kill distance of us. But it didn't go off. And we just, we ran. Um, and so that was one of the very fortunate moments in my life. Like, uh, you could that. see
1: it. Could you see it? Like
2: Yeah, it's it's, it landed and then it went the dirt went poof and then we're like we're dead and then we're alive and then we ran. Um so wow. Yeah. So those are kind of the bad areas that we were going to. Got it. So you said forty eight hours was a
1: like a short turnaround. How long would like a typical mission be in like a not bad area take?
2: A while. I mean, you would have to build the perimeter to protect you Um, and that basically consisted of these, they're called HESCO baskets. They're basically big baskets that have like a liner and you fill with sand and because it's filled with sand when they shoot bullets or whatever at it, it doesn't go through. Um, So you would have to fill the, these HESCO baskets around. You have to build ditches and then once you do all that, you have to you know, grade the interior, you have to compact everything within the area so it's livable. You'd have to build, you know, security towers, you'd have to build a motor pool or like a helicopter landing zone, which requires different things. You have to build the entry point control um and roads leading up to it and all that stuff. So it, it you know, depending on the scope it it takes, you know, from anywhere from like a couple weeks to a couple months. Wow. That's wild.
1: That's insane, man. I mean, I guess my, my quick follow up question is like when you're driving around like Seattle. Or like yeah. Leone, you know, what are your thoughts on Like, are you like, uh, look at this hard, this hard, these hard things are not as good as the hard things that I did? Like, these are clearly, like, like, is your road, like, are you a road snob? You know, like, a, you know, like a, there's like a foodie. Are you like a roadie? You know, like, are you like, uh... <laughs> so my, no. my waddy is, the waddy is so much better. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Kelsey's you know, one takeaway from this entire podcast is what a wadi is. Yes, I'm. You're gonna be saying that me. forever. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. I'm gonna like. I'm gonna be in a conversation with like, uh, like, like anyone who is ever like uh, a materials engineer. I'll be like, yo, yeah, yeah. wadi's though, right? Wadi. Because like that's how you gain respect. You know, you just they, you speak the you speak the language, the yeah, terminology, yeah. and then you get that kind of.
2: Yeah. Um but honestly I best have saved the, the military tons of money by finding these Wadis because if we were to wait like if we were to contract out these materials through a local contractors, like that would have cost a fortune based off how much how much rockslash hard things we needed, right?
0: <laughs> Thank God for the Waddies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: gotcha. All right. Well so okay. So you you you've built up this this kind of family dynamic I will all say like with your platoon at the time, and then you, you kind of, uh, kind of, I guess, finish your, your service. And then now you're all comfortable with this new normal that you've kind of set for yourself in your, you know, in the army. And then now you've jumped 180 degrees again by going to Southern California for your MBA where you have to go talk to a bunch of non-military Asians, like, I don't know, I don't know, me, for example. So what was, like, how jarring was that when you got back from, you know, your, your, your time in
2: Afghanistan? Yeah. I mean, before, before, just to close out the Army thing. Like, yeah. I, I, my takeaways is, I actually never experienced racism in the Army be very Uh frank, like, I don't know if that's ever a question people have. uh, But me personally, I never experienced it. Like, I felt everyone in the military, like, respected each other. And the other thing I will note is, there are some really, really smart people in the military, and their commitment, and passion for, for serving this country. They are, you know, very serious about that. And so, you know, if anyone, who doesn't have any exposure to the military, and and I'm their one. Like I would just tell you, I I feel very safe at night that there are some really smart and really dedicated to the to the army and to the United States um people that lead our military. And so I just I I just feel like people don't get that, and so I just love to yeah. call that out.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great perspective because yeah, I think like from the things that stand out and in, in the news and the things that stand out in media, I think we all have get a, a pretty like skewed yeah understanding of what's going on there yeah
2: yeah but yeah i didn't want to live the military lifestyle so it became a fact of like what path should i choose i felt like you know the mba route was something yeah. that people have had success in so i pursued that i actually took my i took my gmats in afghanistan actually wow. <laughs> Whoa. yeah um 710 first time through Gonna have to take it. All away. right, all right. all right, all right. Okay,
1: okay. okay. Nice. That's a lot of big flex, big flex, big way. Okay, all right. all right. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just blow past that one. Yeah. That's don't, amazing. Don't edit that one out.
2: That's kidding. amazing.
1: Wait, so I, wait, now I'm fascinated.
2: How do you take a team t- in yeah, Afghanistan? I was gonna say. Like,
0: what are the testing centers like? Did you build the testing center?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so they they actually have like these really developed bases that are like central hubs for the military throughout Afghanistan that are airfields and so examples are like Bagram airfield Kandahar airfield and those those bases are actually really built out and have a lot of those amenities so
1: and they have oh. test centers like that's yeah. like of all the things that you need on a base they're like we really need
2: I mean, it offers soldiers, especially, it's less for the MBA aspect but and GMS, but more like it offers soldiers the opportunity to mm. continue and further the education while they're there. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the, to be frank, like not every soldier that's deployed to Afghanistan is out in the front lines doing crazy shit. You know, uh-huh. There's yeah. a whole bunch of support aspects that are in the back end. Oh, and so, you know, that's a great service for soldiers there.
1: What? No, but like, I, I, this is actually yeah. really fascinating to me because uh, unlike Andrew, I took the GMAT more than one time. Um, okay, you're better than me. We get it. We get it. We get it. <laughs> so was, you know, going to Anderson kind of like a, a welcome change that you were like looking for? Or were there other programs you were interested in that, that might? Yeah, I mean,
2: different? I I honestly wanted to go back to LA. Like, that's mm-hmm. where my family was. And mm-hmm. I've been away from them for so long. And. I missed the SoCal weather and all that good stuff. So I totally want to go back. So I was like really stoked to get into Anderson. I don't know. Like,
1: I'll be honest. When I first met you, I didn't even know you were in the military
2: at all. Like,
1: you just seemed like a very, very chill, like, dude. Like, I mean, I was just like, yeah, this guy's from Southern California for sure. So what was your view coming from like the the very different experience you had with folks like us? Yeah.
2: (laughs) It's 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 so interesting, Um, like when I think back about it and I joke with with um, folks all the time about it. But, you know, I really went to Anderson, part of it was the culture, because I felt like MBA was an opportunity to like reacclimate myself to what the hell is civilian life, because from my from the age of 18 on uh, my entire adult life was spent in a military kind of environment. And so when I came to Anderson, especially looking at other Asian Americans, at the very beginning I was very standoffish. Like Really? Yeah. Mm. No, no. And then I quickly broke that barrier for so this yeah. is the, this this is the best story. Very quickly. I so I was in section A and then um I remember walking in and I remember seeing David Kim there. And David Kim is he is the embodiment of kind of what I remember Cerrito's kid being. <laughs> except grown up right and it's not <laughs> it, 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 it's not far off because he grew up in diamond bar and he's gonna love this but <laughs> oh, my God. And, okay and yeah so i saw him i'm like oh i don't like that dude like, <laughs> that dude like i was like that dude is probably uh a dick or whatnot and then it turns out we were on the same learning team right oh you guys were and nice yeah and i was like oh man but I started talking to him and then he's like, oh, hey, what's up? And then he was super cool. And he knew a lot of the people I knew. And then like really quickly, we came like really close friends. Yeah. Um, And we still are today. But <laughs> it's funny how I went into that whole experience being almost like standoffish to the whole Asian right. community. And I quickly through that experience, like, remembered like, oh, shit, I'm not in the military. Like, Who cares what, like, all of a sudden I became like, who cares what anyone thinks? Like, I'm just going to be happy for myself and then just hang out with people I like and whatnot, so.
1: Cool. So just to set a bit of context, Andrew legitimately only hung out with Asian people, like, from day, like, it sounds like not day one, but, like, day one and a half. (laughs) And when I met Andrew, I literally had no idea of his background, mainly because he hung out with so many other Asian people that I was like, oh, okay, it's just like, it's just like me like
2: you just you know yeah i was so, like this is great like i'm not yeah. the only asian anymore like i can just hang out with these people yeah, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: it does seem like you were able to embrace your you know I, don't, I guess asianness once again
2: yeah i mean i don't know about you and maybe jason is super self-aware and self-confident so he didn't have to go through this journey uh which i'm jealous of but like i think between covid between having a kid, my relationship with being, you know, Korean American, Asian American has like really changed over time. And it went from like, if you asked me, even when I was Anderson, like, how would you identify yourself as? I've been like, I'm a veteran and I'm an MBA student. To now, like I kind of identify myself as like, I still identify myself as a veteran, but I also identify myself as Korean American. And that has become so much more of who I see myself as and, and who I'm more proud to be. And it's gone from this kind of thing of like, how do I hide that and show that I'm like everyone else to, how do I become more proud of, of this? Like, this is the thing that makes me unique almost. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just been this interesting art for me. And especially now thinking about how do I want uh, my son Aiden's kind of relationship with this and, and how do we want like future generations and like feel about this whole identity thing? It's it's been really interesting for me to kind of just do that self reflection and think about it throughout the pandemic. But, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think the the next generation question is very interesting to me as well because I feel like so much of my identity is tied to is it's tied to my parents, right? And my parents aren't Asian American, right? They're they're just they're just Asian, and I don't know if I can provide the same ideas and foundation for like my potential future kid and extrapolating even further beyond that, right? Like what happens from, from here on out, right? Like, yeah, it's something that I think is maybe unique to like a lot of Asian Americans because we are still so close to the original like immigrant generation. yeah, so I, I I don't have like any answers to that, but like I, yeah, I, I hope that like you know we're able to come up with something that that is able to more easily like stick and like persist, um, yeah, like generations from now because it it is something that's really special and worth preserving. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I totally get what you're saying, Jason. It's
1: like I know for a fact that how my parents raised me is going to be fundamentally different than how I'm going to be raising my son.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: because there is there is the whole like yes we're all Asian by blood, but there is this level of context that's going to be missing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, my language. I, I mean, I, you, I, we joke about this all the time, Jason. But like, my Chinese is terrible. Oh yeah, and like, I worry about that really. Yeah. Like, I actually do worry that like, yeah. I want. Quinns obviously have that kind of proficiency, even from a language perspective. Yeah. Like I just, that's something I cannot provide as mm-hmm. well as, say, my parents could mm-hmm. have.
2: Yeah. I, I, I thought about that. And, um, I was actually, I did this project during COVID where I, it was actually inspired. I listened to one of David Cheng's podcasts where he mm. was talking. I think his father just passed away. And he was talking about, you know, his, his memories of him and he was talking about regrets he had and things he knew about him and things he wished he asked. And that got me thinking like, how much do I really know about my parents? Mm -hmm. And the more I thought about it, it's like, I don't know shit. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, how their experiences were when they were in Korea, why they moved here, how they moved here what it was like growing up here, you know, how their parents were and how, you know, their experiences were. And I was like, man, I don't want <laughs> this is gonna sound weird, but like, I don't want Aiden to be like an entitled asshole, just kind of assuming that like mm. he he was born here and that's it. Like, I want him to at whenever he's of age and and can appreciate it. Like I want him to understand the people that came before him that made sacrifices so that he can be here today. Mm-hmm. Um like I asked my dad like hey why did we live in Cerritos? He's like the only reason we lived in Cerritos was for the school district and for you and your your, your brother. I was like holy shit. Like mm-hmm. he commuted an hour each way every day so that we can have the education and opportunity we have. Um so during COVID I actually went on this whole project and I I interviewed all my my parents i interviewed my in-laws and i wrote it all down and i was like holy shit like now i understand like their journey and so wow. it's yeah. it's kind of like my effort to preserve that for my son um and my son's awesome. son because like i i feel like that's such an important part that the next generation is making sure they don't lose it and like i was like how do they not lose it because my korean sucks like Mm -hmm. um kind of like same dilemma as you Kelsey like one of my biggest grits is not taking Korean class yeah seriously um so like I I I mean that's that's kind of one of the paths I've been on to recollect with like what is our future generation going to look like yeah well
1: I mean that's awesome that's actually quite inspiring because I would like that I've always wanted to do that you know like to learn more and like I guess the other thing too that's really fascinating to me is how if like little things here and there were different. Yeah. Like like, I could be either not here at all. I could be a fundamentally different person. It's just like, wow, if that, if, if Mao had just come to, you know, this province three months earlier, you know, (laughs) I might not be here at all. Like, or, you know, all this crazy stuff that these things that I have no relationship to at all. Yeah. Help drive me to, you know, and all of us to where we are. now, So,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think I think like what you're describing is something that's shared between probably all children of immigrants. Yeah, exactly. How much of that is core to what it means just to be an Asian American. So I don't know if like the future generations will ever understand this aspect of being a child of immigrants because they're not children of immigrants, right? Right, right, right. Nope. But then what is the Asian American part of our experience that mm-hmm. that they're going to have and that we want to make sure that they have, right? Because yeah. I don't think there's yep. any way to like reproduce that feeling necessarily. Yes. Even though it's something that's like <laughs> that, that that like we think about like all the time probably. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an exciting time right now. Like you know, being Asian American is in vogue for for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, like <laughs> I'm I'm like I'm yeah. super glad that it's getting the attention that it's finally getting. Yeah, yeah, whether yeah. it's like eddie wong whether it's minari whether it's you know close out whether it's um you know whatever like it's it's it and i'm so proud of all that and like even like to all the boys i love right like like, specifically (laughs) more more so than anything really (laughs) like but i feel like it's it's that kind of stuff like i i kind of hope where you know my son aiden grows up and he is Aware and he is proud of being of being like Korean American and doesn't have to feel like he needs to compensate in any way, mm-hmm. and that he has the same opportunities as everyone else. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I
1: actually, honestly, on that note, Andrew, I think that was probably the best way to close out. Uh, yeah, your stories were very, very interesting. Yeah. Um. I mean, about. I mean, between making roads and wadis and like
0: soil w- and how one things. would go
1: about building a let's say a road or you know some hard things on the floor that one yeah, could yeah. use to walk on yeah, to yeah. drive on
0: the main takeaway yeah for sure yeah no the main was, takeaway. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was it yeah no. <laughs> i love this this was yeah i thought i agree because this is this is a great conversation um but yeah, I think we. I, I learned so much from this conversation about so many different things. And it's time for a pop quiz. Yeah. All right. So, Andrew,
1: our first segment is called Either Or. Uh, so I'm going to give you two options. And all you have to do is pick one of the two things I'm about to tell you. Great. All right. So. Uh Tony Azervedo or dezo Garmati. Tony Azervedo. Oh, um, see. Nice. Yeah. I'm really glad it. you know who that is. What, I actually yeah. got what is that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he's Andrew, A hero. Don't he's don't even hero. explain. Don't you know what? Don't even explain to Jason. He's an icon, Jason. Oh, he's an icon, understood. Jason. Okay, got it, got it. So 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 for all the Jasons out
0: there,
1: <laughs> first of all. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Second of all, uh, th- these are two of the most well-revered or like two of the most popular water polo players of all time. Oh, and wow. Okay. Tony Azevedo actually went to Stanford. And uh, Andrew, fun fact, I actually watched him play Pepperdine. And one of the oh, highlights nice. I've ever seen is he passed the ball to himself. As in, he had the ball, threw it to open water, turned the defender... Grabbed the ball and then scored a goal. Oh, wow, he the, the the score was like ten to eight, Stanford winning. Tony Azevedo scoring like six. Yeah, oh, wow. he was amazing. He was a monster. Yeah. I would just watch YouTube highlights of him. He's say, insane. Oh, God, he's fucking he was. <laughs> Jason, tell us your favorite Tony Azevedo highlight.
0: Um, i I actually <laughs> saw him. I saw him play Pepperdine once, and. <laughs> He passed it to himself. Isn't that crazy? Oh my god! Whoa, <laughs> that's insane.
1: That's yeah. crazy. Wow. Um. All right. Next, uh, Dodgers or Lakers? Dodgers.
2: Oh, wow. Dodgers all the way. Yeah, dude. I, I, you know, for what the pandemic was, it also brought me so many great moments.
1: Right? Oh yeah, that's true. Oh, because yeah, they won this year.
2: Last year, they won. It, they for the first time since I was like essentially born, and yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, it was such an emotional. It was so relieving. God, I, and and it was because they
1: went pretty far, like a couple of years ago too. Like they they made, so it to, many,
2: yeah, yeah, they yeah. made it to the World Series two years, yeah, yeah. lost both, yeah.
0: Wow. So now yeah, they now feel, it's it's pro- yeah, it's a great feeling because now they have one, so they only need two more to match you know the Giants in recent history, right? Geez.
2: Right. <laughs> I okay. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew are you, did are say, you a Giants fan? Of course, no. of course. Hey, Andrew. I, this is where I walk girl. out of the bu- yeah, podcast. Yeah, no, say, <laughs> say, you made me do it. I was going to say, Andrew did threaten to walk out.
1: This is where I walk out. Is, oh,
2: wow. where, I <laughs> didn't know Jason was, I didn't know I was doing a podcast with a giant yeah. uh, Wow, out, so wow. Kelsey, this the, was not mentioned.
1: The ultimate trap. This was not mentioned. All right, next. Uh. Microsoft Office or Google Suite? Be honest. You better answer quickly. I
2: I think for any enterprise workplace, you can only go with Office. Like it just makes so much sense. And by the Uh, way, Teams, Teams, Teams is awesome. Um, but for my personal use, I I use Google.
1: Oh, okay, cool. So we're gonna just slice it so it actually just sounds like Google. (laughs) He said the right words. (laughs) (laughs) We're just gonna cut it. and the, uh, some would argue, the most important question of all, Jason or Kelsey?
2: Yeah, Kelsey. I mean, Jason's a Giants fan. Like, <laughs> come on.
1: <laughs> wow. You know what? I, I actually
2: wow. appreciate that
0: because he gave a reason.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He
0: gave a reason. And it's, it's a good reason.
1: <laughs> it is somewhat. It is somewhat
2: <laughs> reasonable. Yeah, yeah, say. yeah. Okay, Um, I think you're the first Giants fan in my life, Jason. So now I have an arch enemy. Wow. Okay. Well, actually, sorry
0: to serve that. To rephrase,
1: I think, I think Jason, you're the first Giants fan that Andrew has talked to for more than three seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. You're the first Giants fan I got to know before they were a Giants fan. Yeah. Yeah. Did did I? Uh, (laughs) Oh, I liked. Did I I liked you so much up until then? (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm huge. Giants fans are oh people too, well, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Well,
1: uh, Andrew, I think you passed that one. So well done. That was, that was our first segment. Yeah, very and good you, work. You, you marginally passed. I'll say you marginally
0: passed.
2: Okay. That's all I needed to do. Yeah. That's all,
0: baby. All right. So uh, up next, we have top five. All right. So just real quick, what are your top five tips for uh, transitioning to civilian life from uh, military life?
2: I think, man, that's tough. I don't. <laughs> these are all going to sound super cheesy, but um, cheesy's good. Be yourself. Okay. So, like, I think step one, yeah, nice. I think step step one is it's okay to be yourself. Uh, number two is when you're transitioning out. The strongest network connection I've ever been able to leverage was the military mm-hmm. um, at West Point, and so just a quick example like whenever i needed to talk to someone in a company or or were int- was interested or or wanted to get their perspective on like what it was like yeah. i actually look for people who are west point grads in different companies and just said hey like this is who i am this is what the situation is and i would say nine times out of ten they were open to talk to me for a long period of time and help me out however they wanted to and so i think the military connection anywhere is super strong. And so totally leverage it. I would say um, number three is also, you know, it's kind of counter to be yourself, but also um, be proud that you're a veteran. I think it's super interesting how since the army and the military has gone to this kind of volunteer force, less than 1% of us population has served in the military in any form. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a really unique experience and it's a really unique, I don't want to call it a club, but it's a badge of honor that you can wear. And so be proud of that. I mean, if I think if those are good, those are three good ones.
1: Yeah. Just do yeah. It I think those three. are the
0: three. Yeah. That's great. Loved it. Wow. All right. Excellent uh, work. Yeah, you you may be
1: the first, you may be the first person to have marginally passed the top five as well. <laughs> yeah. I will go ahead and say you marginally passed the top five. <laughs> Um, our next segment is called Factor Fiction Army Edition, and you are going to be playing against our intrepid co-host, Jason. Question number one in the Army Navy game for football. Navy is currently ahead in their head to head record by seven games, which is coincidentally the same number of games both teams have tied since the game began in 1890. True or
0: false
2: there's so much information yeah, I want to say it. Yeah, that's right. I, I want to say true.
0: I'm going to say, I'm going to say fact. Yeah, I agree.
1: All right. The answer is true. All right. I believe the record is Navy is ahead 61 games to 53 games and seven ties.
0: Wait so, 61 to 53 is not seven. It's eight.: Wow. So wrong. This is false. You're both
1: wrong. Wow. Wow. My math is terrible just now. Did I write this right? Oh, yeah. It's
0: it's so, yeah. it's crazy how many episodes we've done where you've just been bad at math.
1: Yeah, I know. My math, man. Good lord. You know why? It's because I try to get too fancy with these questions. Because I don't want to just ask like the record. I was like, oh, this will be like kind of like a like an interesting fact. So it's false. And it's eight. And oh god. <laughs> all right number two as of a 2013 department department of defense demographics report asians accounted for only 10 percent of enlisted men and women and only five percent of officers false
0: um yeah i'm gonna say false as well Uh, the answer is false okay uh it's low. asians account for 3.8
1: yeah, percent lower. of enlisted men and women and interesting 4.4 percent of officers so there's actually a higher percentage of asian officers than there are of enlisted Yep. asian oh wow oh. i thought sense. that was Maybe. actually a pretty interesting fact andrew you weren't surprised
2: by that that there's more asian officers than enlisted now that doesn't oh, surprise me can right. can Jason answer first for these next couple? Yes, because he think just he copies should. my answers. That's that's exactly <laughs> that's why that I was <laughs> like, it
1: doesn't matter what Jason thought of the first question, whether my math is wrong, because all he's gonna do is go like, "Yep, what Andrew yep, said. Whatever he said. <laughs> yep,
0: what Andrew said. <laughs> he's the expert."
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, next question: The forty four hundred and forty second Infantry Regimental Combat Team, which was composed mostly of second generation Americans of Japanese ancestry or Nisei. Was the most decorated unit for its size and length of service in the entire history of the U.S. military.
2: Fact. I went first. Yeah, I think that I'm pretty sure that's a fact. I'm pretty sure they're, they're going to make a movie out of that.
0: Oh, they are? Oh, oh that's wow. awesome. Well, the, well
2: yeah. the answer is true.
0: Nice.
1: Uh, they yeah. earned more than 9,000 Purple Hearts, 21 medals, Holy of Honor, smokes. and eight presidential citations. Yeah, there you go. Incredible. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, much like our guest Andrew, famed Dodger Jackie Robinson joined the Army during World War II and was honorably discharged as a captain, the same rank as Andrew. True or false? Jason, you answer
0: first. I'm going to say true.
2: I think it's false. I don't think he was a captain.
1: Andrew's going with false. Jason, you're going with true? Yeah. The answer is false. Oh, my goodness. He actually was honorably discharged as a second lieutenant. Wow,
2: I couldn't let a Giants fan get that right. Yeah, no, how embarrassing <laughs> you know, was that? Me. I was, I felt a lot of pressure. I, was, of I was, nervous. I was
1: nervous for you. I was actually going to say, if you lost, I would have been like, "Wow, Andrew, I think you have to be a Giants fan now." <laughs> I think that's the rule. That's how it goes. Thank yeah. God, I, I didn't. didn't. <laughs> Jesus, man. Well, good job, Andrew. You 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 didn't marginally pass this one. You did. You beat, you trounced Jason four
0: to three
2: nice
0: Jason how do you feel about that I feel fine good yeah. <laughs> was that convincing
2: <laughs> excellent
1: well good job Andrew that was, that was well played
2: that was very satisfying yeah.
1: um, and so next segment Andrew uh, this segment is called discomfort zone so we're going to see how much you know about something outside of your comfort zone so uh as a west point graduate you must know a lot about points so could you please describe the art form pointillism in two sentences go
2: it's where you make a piece of art using sharp points okay that's
1: uh, sadly that's not far off yeah that's pretty Uh, close
0: yeah
1: it's pretty close (laughs) (laughs) so pointillism first of all have you heard of pointillism before no okay well there you were discomforted and that makes me happy um (laughs) pointillism is a technique of painting in which small distinct dots of color are applied in patterns to form an image i see cool you are you are just scraping by this test man
0: <laughs> um it's kind of like Kelsey with the G Mat. Alright. Um oh boy. Yeah. So Yeah,
1: but he can't take it more than once. All right. So it's nothing like me, yeah. Jason.
0: <laughs> Alright. So the uh the, the last event here we have is called Won't You Haiku. So this is a collective activity where the three of us together are gonna write a haiku. And we're gonna write a haiku about you guys are already counting, but do not even know what the theme is? How, we could go themeless Andrew you want to just start it's it,
2: something
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh god let's write a haiku about the conversation that we've had
2: today how about that okay cool yeah I can go two directions but I think this one is more more relevant to the conversation we had um and just for context like the one I would I would have gone with is Dodgers are the best <laughs> uh, but let's 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 not go down that route uh <laughs> So so let's go with um Wadis have hard stuff. <laughs>
1: David Kim is Cerritos.
0: David <laughs> Kim is hard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That was pretty- that's great. I, I actually think so so andrew no joke we've done this and this level of uh poetic artistry is about as good as you'll get this might be the one that made the most sense because it's the transitive property yeah that was, no, that was great, great. finish
2: it off jason jason clothes are over here Let's nice going that was great wow, that's my awesome. best work well yet.
1: Wow. Well, I got to say, you went from like, I would say you would have averaged a marginal pass, Andrew, but like, I think the way we closed that, that group project we had toward the end, that really pulled you up to like a solid pass. So good job. That was great.
0: Yeah. I'd give you a (laughs) 7.10.
1: Nice. So yeah. Kelsey. I mean, yeah. I think what I learned most is what's been really cool to see is throughout all of these different arcs and kind of bends that you've gone in terms of, going from a very kind of safe, comfortable area of being amongst other folks who look like you to environments where you're not, where you kinda of have to navigate that space. It's quite astounding to me that you've remained very level headed about, you know, who you are, how you define yourself, um, and and kind of this renewed respect that you have of just being an Asian American and Korean American specifically. And I mean, I, I don't I honestly don't know if I could have that kind of level-headedness had I gone through a similar path so I mean I, I'm quite uh in awe of your ability to kind of maintain a sense of self throughout all this so I I learned about Andrew's uh pretty unmovable sense of self
0: that's what I learned. so nice um
1: that's what I learned Jason Jason what did you learn
0: honestly I, I learned I learned a lot from this conversation it's hard to like pinpoint exactly what but um I think the biggest takeaway for me is I definitely came in with some like preconceived notions of what going to school at a place like West Point is like, um, what serving in the military is like, and yeah, Andrew really like dispelled a lot of, you know, my notions and yeah. And I think that's like an important message to, to have out there. So thank you, Andrew. Like this conversation was really compelling, really inspiring. Um, yeah. So
2: yeah, no, thank you guys. I I remember like <clears throat> you know, so many of the close people I talk to on a daily basis have and come from a very similar you know experience for me. So in my mind none of this seems unique. It just mm. seems par for the course and when Kelsey asked me to do this it was helpful to hear him say not everybody does and goes through what you go through. Mm. And I am glad to Kelsey's friend and now um, Jason's friend, um, with the asterisk on it. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I really, I, I'm really appreciate that you guys asked me to be on this. Hopefully, everyone took away something helpful um, and interesting from it. And yeah, I hope I'm the best interview you guys have done. Yes, yeah. I know you guys are doing other ones. So <laughs> <gasps> nice. Well, Andrew, I was going to ask, did you learn anything? Uh, I guess. You know, um, I think the the two things I learned is hearing Jason's perspective when I when I asked him the question like, hey, have you have you been in situations where you're, like long, prolonged periods where you're the kind of the only Asians, and and hearing his response was actually like made me happy. It made me happy that people, uh, Asian Americans, don't feel this sense of That they're comfortable in their own skin and they're confident in themselves and know that they're there for a reason. Um and it actually was a reminder for myself that I need to be more like that, um, constantly, you know. Um and it's kind of like, you know, back to the future generations. Like, I want my son to feel like that. Like I don't want him to feel like, oh like I want to be comfortable in skin and proud of that. So um it was great to hear that, Jaden.
0: Nice. Yeah.
2: And then Kelsey. Oh, boy. Uh oh. Oh god. There's a Kelsey part. I'm very, scared.
0: I'm very, very scared.
2: You don't need it. you don't, you don't need to say it. You don't need to say it, Andrew. It. I learned that Kelsey took the G at more than once. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well done. There we go. Well done. You know
1: what it is? I just got I got such a high score the first time, I was like, you know, I let me see if I can do it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exactly what happened, verbatim.
0: I guess, yeah, thank you once again, Andrew, for for being here, for spending your time with us, and yeah, for being a friend. And want to thank you all for listening. And I just want to put on the record that as of this recording, the Giants are in first place in the division. So hope everyone has a great week. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, I just,
1: I want it for the record that as of today's recording, I could care less about baseball. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. Thank you. And uh, go Dodgers. We'll catch you next time. (laughs) Slip that one in there. Nice. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. This has been Jason and Kelsey Have Friends. Executive produced by Dora. Talent managed by Kelly. Design and artwork by Hobby at madebyhobby.com theme song by Jason. Questions? Comments? Send us an email at jasonandkelsey at gmail.com or visit us at jasonandkelsey.com. If you haven't already, please rate and subscribe everywhere, multiple times.